So as of this morning, my responsibilities for this conference were to pick up Pastor Charles from the airport and introduce him tonight. And uh, as I was talking multiple times with his assistant this afternoon, came to realize that uh, mechanical issues with the plane delayed and delayed, and he is sitting in the airport and he will be here this evening. We'll be picking him up and he will be ready to go in the morning. So you can pray for strength for him as he's had a long day of not getting anywhere or not getting here. So, but it is a joy to be with you in the providence of God. We have plans and the Lord has other plans. So we were all here, including myself, to hear what Pastor Charles was going to teach us on biblical manhood. And the Lord, as I said in his providence, has determined that I'll be opening the word and sharing what Uh, The Lord has put on my heart, and I pray that the Spirit of God will apply it to each of us, and, and it will be a transformative time. We are gathered this weekend to specifically look at what God's Word says about being a godly man. There are far too many men who either don't know the roles that God has called them to, or worse, know them and just decide that they're not going to submit to them, or they're just going to plain disobey. We have a generation of young men in the church that need to be taught what it is, what is to characterize a young man who loves the Lord, and they need this modeled by older men. Our society has no problem telling us and telling men what a man looks like, and it is in complete contradiction to the Word of God. Telling men that they are not to lead their families. They can, frankly, you can abandon your family, what's, let alone lead it. Not to be guided by convictions, encouraging unfaithfulness in marriage. They're telling our young men to be preoccupied with petty amusements and just focus on their appearance. Uh, they are encouraged to live their lives through social media. That's their world. If you look around at young people, if you go out to dinner, you go out just about anywhere, you may look at a table of four or five high schoolers or college-age students gathered together, and nine out of ten times, they're not engaged with each other. They're all on their phone staring. They're living this world, not interacting with each other face-to-face. And this is what our society is encouraging and promoting engaging in pornography and other sexual sins, it's weird if you're not engaging in these things according to our society. You're abnormal. You're odd if you're not engaged in these type of sins. And essentially, telling young people, or young men, to behave like boys when they should be acting like men. This is the kinds of things our society is espousing over and over and over again. And we wanted to put it up against God's word. What does God's word say that we as followers of Christ, as men in the church, what are we to be characterized by? What are we to look like? Our society and our churches need men who love Jesus above all else. Men who are characterized by integrity. Who have the courage to stand up for truth and lead despite what society's popular opinion of the day is and men who are willing to make sacrifices for the greater good. We need men who understand that this is God's world, and he designed us to love and lead our families. The world, society, the culture doesn't get to define what a man is or what a husband is to look like. God's word, it's God's design. It's his world. Marriage is his institution, and we are to submit to what he has to say and what he has told us is to be our role. My prayer for our time 
this evening is that the Holy Spirit would work in each of us to shrink the gaps between our beliefs and our behaviors. I think many of us may have pretty solid beliefs where we go, yeah, I believe these biblical truths about what a man is to be or to look like integrity and obedience to the Lord and submission to him. But there's a gap, I believe, often in our behavior. What we know in our head and what we maybe even strive for, that the Lord would work in our hearts this evening and and that gap would shrink between what we know and believe and what we're putting into practice. That we would be putting more of it into practice and be transformed to the glory of God. In our time tonight, we're going to focus on a man's call and responsibility to be characterized by love. It's not the typical topic that you think of. A bunch of guys getting together, let's talk about love. But I think that the concept of love has been hijacked by our society. This concept is distorted in our world and it is lost. And we need to have a biblical understanding of what it means to be men who are characterized by love. Our focus this evening is going to be from Ephesians chapter 5 on husbands loving your wives. But I don't want this to be narrowed and pigeonholed where you go, great, I'm, I'm single or I'm a young person, this doesn't apply, I can turn off. Not at all. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are to be characterized by love. It is the first on the list of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13. Before we even get into our text, love is to characterize every one of us, whether you are married or single, whether you are a young person, whether you are older, it does not matter. We don't graduate from it, but we need to be growing in it. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, the importance of being characterized by love. Verse 1, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, what am I? I'm a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal, making a bunch of noise if I'm not characterized by love. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Just think about that concept. If you have the most profound understanding of God's word, the spirit of God has illuminated truths to you, you understand deep truths of God's word, but you're not characterized by love, it's of nothing. It's of no value. Wrap your your mind around that. The importance of being characterized by love. If I give away, verse 3, if I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. If I'm willing to die, if I'm willing to sacrifice the ultimate sacrifice of my life, or not my life, but give away all that I have, all my possessions sacrificially, and yet I'm not characterized by love, I gain nothing. And then he goes on to lay out what love looks like patience and kind and doesn't envy and boast and so forth. But I want us to see that this is not just a topic that, oh, this is what married husbands need to focus on. No, this is what every believer, male and female, but our focus this evening and this weekend is on manhood. And we need to be men who are consistent with what God's word has called us to be. And we are to be characterized by love as our Lord and Savior Jesus was and is. This topic, while directed to husbands in Ephesians chapter 5, has significant application for those not married. God's children are to be characterized by love, and much of what is said tonight can be applied in a variety of relationships. And I'm going to try to connect those as we're going through so that it's not just focused on only husbands 
call to love our wives. Our text, as I said, is going to be Ephesians chapter 5. So go ahead and turn there with me. I will read uh, our text. It's one that most are familiar with. But Ephesians chapter 5, I'm going to pick up with verse 22 and read to the end of the chapter. Wives, submit to your own husbands as the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the church see that she respects her husband. In this text, we see two responsibilities of the husband, to love and to lead. Our time is only going to permit us to try to dig in and mine in on this concept of being characterized by love. So, first of all, you are called, if you are a husband, to love your wife. Following Paul's instruction to wives to submit to their husbands because he's the head of the home, notice that Paul does not exactly parallel what he has said to the wives. He does not immediately command the husband to be the head of the wife. He has told your wife to submit to your leadership, but he doesn't begin by saying, husbands, lead. Instead, how does he begin? He tells husbands to be filled with love for their wife. Three times, Paul tells husbands to love their wives. We see it in verse 25, husbands love your wives. Verse 28, in the same way, husbands love your wives. Verse 33, let each of you love his wife as himself. So the question is, why do you think the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to instruct husbands to love their wives so many times in such a short span? Why is this emphasized over and over in such a, just a few sentences? I think there's multiple answers to this. One, it could be that a wife has a great need to be loved. It's how God has made her and that needs to be affirmed and reaffirmed to her. Secondly, could be that a husband often lacks love towards his wife. We are often slow learners and we do not always love how we are commanded to love. A wife needs to be reassured of her husband's love and husbands need to be reminded often to reassure their wives that they love them. It's not, I told you I love you and I'll let you know if anything changes. That is not the approach we are to take. I love you, I'll get back to you if anything changes. Other than that, just consider it that I I, I continue to love you. No, it needs to be repeated verbally and with our actions. Here, Paul is saying and obviously emphasizing the command for husbands to love their wives. You may say, but you don't know my wife, how she treats me, the lack of respect she shows me. I don't even know if she really loves me. Men, 
You are called to love your wife no matter what. You have made a covenant with her, and that covenant relationship is to accurately reflect Christ's relationship with his bride, the church. Is your marriage an accurate reflection and a picture to the world of the gospel? Or is it a distortion of the gospel? It is not loving and serving and the relationship that is modeled between Christ and his bride, the church. Scripture is crystal clear about your responsibility to love your wife. None of us can argue with what is taught in God's word. But one of the biggest hindrances to obedience to this command is allowing your feelings to dominate and dictate your actions and attitudes. How often is that the case? I know that I need to love someone or I need to love my wife, but I don't, I don't feel like it. And, and what rules the day? Well, my feelings. I don't feel like serving you. I don't feel like loving you. I don't feel like doing this, so I'm not going to. And we're driven by our feelings. How do we deal with that? We're living in the real world. We all know, clearly, if we're here and we say, I want to submit to God's word, it's clearly taught. You and I are to be characterized by love. In marriage, you are to be characterized by love with your wife. What happens when you don't feel, feel like it? When it's, your feelings just aren't there? How do we deal with this? I just don't love her anymore. Or we're not in love, quote unquote. I once had those feelings, but I don't have those feelings anymore. She's changed. I've changed. Or you could expand this outside of marriage to, I don't feel like loving and obeying my parents. Well, you still need to love and obey them, whether you feel like it or not. I don't feel like loving my brother or my sister. The list goes on and on for this. What do we do when our feelings tell us one thing and God's word tells us another? What do you do in a situation like that? You may have these kinds of feelings. Many of you may be struggling with these kinds of feelings or thoughts. So how do we have victory? I want to give you some, some just very practical things. One, we need to understand that your feelings aren't trustworthy. We read in Jeremiah that man's heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. So your feelings aren't to be relied on and necessarily be trusted or acted on. And this flies in the face of our culture, does it not? Our, our culture, follow your heart. Do what you feel like doing. It's almost just do, don't think. It's just go with what your gut tells you to do. Well, guess what? Your gut, your heart is deceived much of the time. Your heart is desperately wicked. We don't want to follow our heart. That's a recipe for disaster. Think about this in other aspects of life. Do you only go to work when you feel like going to work? you will be unemployed very quickly. If your alarm clock goes off, you don't feel like getting out of bed. You've got to do it whether you feel like it or not, don't you? Think about a skilled musician or an athlete. They don't practice when they feel like it. They are determined to go against how they feel for the end result. They know their target. They know what they want to accomplish and they're willing to sacrifice for that, not be driven by their feelings because they have a goal. We... Two, are not to be led by our feelings. We want to obey and honor our Lord and Savior. And if he has called us to do something, we shouldn't be driven by our feelings when they're contrary to what God's word says. You just have to learn to love her, your wife, or any other relationship if you're not married, despite how you feel. Learning to love may sound like a foreign concept, but love is not a feeling, but it's a choice. And again, this goes, it flies in the face of our culture. It is the complete opposite. It is a, 
if you look up definitions this afternoon, as I was putting, preparing and kind of going through things, I did a Google search on what's the definition of love. In you know, you've got Wikipedia, you've got dictionary.com, you've got all these ones. And the common phrase in all of those definitions was strong feelings and strong emotions. It was feelings and emotions were the definition, the central, central portion of love. And that's just not biblical. Biblical love is not driven by feelings. I think Vodi Bakum has nailed it with his definition of love. I, I love this from his book, Family Driven Faith. He said, love is an act of the will accompanied by emotion that leads to action on behalf of its object. I think that is so helpful because it's not void of emotion. You don't love someone and have no emotions. But he says, it's an act of the will. It's a choice that is accompanied by emotion to take action that will benefit the object of that love. Love is an attitude that manifests itself in doing something for someone else. Look at what, how God's word defines love. John 3.16, verse we're familiar with. For God so loved the world that what? He gave. His love wasn't based on a feeling. Do you think Jesus felt like going to the cross? Do you think he felt like drinking the cup of the Father's wrath so that believers could in turn drink the cup of forgiveness? His decision-making and actions were not based on a feeling, but it was a choice to submit and accomplish the Father's will. What about the verse that tells us to love our enemies? Is that a feeling? Oh, I always feel like loving and caring for my enemies and those who want to harm me. That's not a feeling. Not, not one of us, if we're honest, says, oh, I feel like doing that. I feel like doing exactly what God's word says on how we are to bless our enemies. It's unnatural to want to bless someone and love someone who hurts you or wants to harm you. We don't have any positive feelings for our enemies, and yet we are to act as new creatures in Christ and love our enemies despite our feelings. And we must choose, again, not based on feelings, but choose to be obedient. Romans 12.9, Paul says, Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it's written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him a drink. But in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That is to say, here's how you treat your enemies. You do something good for that person. Paul never said you have to feel good about it. You don't wait until you have good emotional feelings and then do something for your enemy. No, we are to do something that is beneficial for our enemies despite our feelings. So men, newsflash, your wife is not your enemy. Sometimes you may treat her like an enemy, but she is not your enemy. If you are to respond in kindness to harsh treatment by your enemy, how much more should you respond in love to your wife? Think about that. So men, at this point in your marriage, some of you may, I understand we're at all different phases of life and marriages and spiritual maturity. Some marriages may be thriving and some may really be in challenging, difficult times. And there may be some here who have little to no feelings in their, their marriage. But you are to give yourself and your love to your wife and her needs. It's a choice, an act of the will. Men, you are to do what's right and your feelings will catch up with your right choices. So think about what's the root problem here? I think Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, 
He gives great insight. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised again. The key line in there that I want you to see is that those who live might no longer live for themselves. The love of Christ is to drive us to no longer live for ourselves, but for Christ. But the problem is, what's our default setting? Self-love. I love me. That's, it's my natural setting. You get a new iPhone, you get a new tablet, you get anything, it's got a default setting, right? It's, this is a manufacturer setting. And it's got particular settings. All of our default setting in our sinful nature is self-love. You love yourself. You didn't need to be programmed that way. You didn't need to be taught to love yourself more. It came pretty naturally. It comes natural for all of us. And this is a challenge. If we love ourselves and we're to love others, who's going to win? I've got to love my wife. I've got to love others as a Christian. Have a, be characterized by love to others. And yet, I love me. There's a conflict here. Here, Paul summarizes what sin does to all of us. Sin makes us focus on our little world. It shrinks our focus, our motivations, and concerns to the size of our wants, needs, and feelings. We love ourselves, and therefore our dreams and plans are most often self-oriented. We don't really have time to love our spouse because we are too busy loving ourselves. Paul put it this way, what we actually want is for our spouse to love us as much as we love ourselves, and if our spouse is willing to do that, we will have a wonderful relationship. We laugh because it's a little too close to home. Hey, if you want to love me the way that I want to be loved, we are going to have just the best marriage. But if you don't fulfill what my definition of what my self-love wants from you, then the relationship's rockier because we love ourselves. Sadly, our love of ourselves drastically affects how you will view your spouse and frankly, any other close relationship. This affects every relationship. Set aside marriage. If you're only self-focused and everything's about me, hey, I'll go hang with my friends. I'll go serve others if it suits my needs. If it is convenient for what I want to do, then that's fine. No, it's got to be sacrificial in loving and serving others, not just because it benefits me or because I see the benefit. That's, again, not the definition of love. Instead of your wife being the person you enjoy loving and serving, they get reduced to one of two things. Think about this. They can either become either the vehicle to help you get what you want or they're the obstacle in the way of what you want. That's what happens when you're driven by self-love. Where they're either the vehicle to get what you want, or they're the obstacle that's in the way of what you want. When your wife is meeting the demands of your wants, needs, and feelings, you're quite excited about her, and you treat her with kindness and love and affection. But when she becomes an obstacle in the way of your wants, needs, and feelings, you have a hard time hiding your disappointment, impatience, and irritation. So what does this love that Paul commands husbands to have for their wife look like? How is a husband to love his wife? In Ephesians 5, Paul gives really two ways that we are to love our wives. Verses 28 through 30. Let me read them. A man is to love his wife as his own body. In the same way, husbands 
should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. We are to love our wife as we love ourselves, because she is one with her husband. Remember Genesis 2, marriage is coming together, the two become one flesh. That's why Paul quotes Genesis 2 in, at the end of this text, telling us the two shall become one flesh. The husband and wife are one. The marriage relationship is so intimate and so close that she's one with his own body and therefore he is to treat her as he does his own body. So men, how do you treat your body? Get a cut, eh, rub some dirt on it, it'll be fine, let it get infected, never look in the mirror, don't shower, you smell, you don't care. When you're hungry, you decide, I'm not going to eat, I got other stuff going on. No, no, I think quite the opposite. We pamper, we take care of our bodies, do we not? If you're hungry, you find time to eat. We find time for what is important to us. If you have a cut, you don't let it get infected. You get it cleaned up. We bandage ourselves. We take care of ourselves. We eat when we're hungry. When you're tired, you sleep. When you're sick, you take medicine. You see a doctor. We naturally look for ways to take care of ourselves. That is natural. That is normal. We want to take care of ourselves. So the point is that we know how to take care of our own bodies, and we do, in the same way we're to take care of our wife and her needs. So what are her needs? A loving husband is to be alert to the needs of his wife. Do you treat your wife's needs with the same level of priority that you give your own body? Think about that. Do you give her wants and needs the same priority that you give your wants and needs? We are to protect her provide for her, give her understanding, give her security, give her a listening ear, give her our time, give her our compassion, give her encouragement, give her our energy. These are things your wife needs from her husband. They may not always be things that you need, but again, love is about giving of yourself. I love this example that I read some years back of theologian Wayne Grudem on how he applied this concept of loving his wife uh, as he loved his own body. I guess many years ago now, Wayne Grudem's wife was in a severe car accident. As, as a result, her body experienced chronic pain in severe cold and humid conditions. And guess where they lived? Chicago, which is quite frigid and was... Do- really causing challenges. She was physically in a lot of pain chronically because of the weather that exasperated her pain. Friends invited them to stay in a vacation home in the Phoenix area, dry, not cold. Upon staying there for a couple weeks, she told her husband, I want to move here. I mean, the pain is lessened. His answer was, I'm only trained to be a seminary professor. We can't move. This is my job in where we live. But then he recalls in this article that I read, he recounted the command to love his wife as he did his own body and realized that if he experienced the pain that she was in, that he would be moving to Phoenix. But because it was his wife, that wasn't his natural thing. And he realized and the Lord convicted him and they moved there and involved in a seminary, I think even still to this day. But it's a great example for us 
for our default is, I'll take care of me. I'm in pain. I need to move to take care of my, my needs. But are you willing to do that for your wife? Are you alert to her needs? So many of us are just oblivious to our wife's needs. We're just focused on my little world and I've got so much going on in it that I don't even know what her needs are, let alone meeting those needs. Men, we need to be alert to the needs of others. Those who are not married, are you only focused on your world? Again, set aside a wife for this. Are you focused on the needs of others or is it only about you and your world? This is what I've got going on. These are the things I love to do. And if you love doing what I love doing, come on, come on, we'll go together. But other than that, I'm not going to serve you. I'm going to focus on me. No, we need to be looking for ways to meet the needs of others. Again, this is the body of Christ. We are again to be characterized by love in all areas of our life, in all relationships. We as men should be characterized, if you're married, you should be characterized that that man loves the Lord and he loves his wife. That is one of the greatest compliments you could have for others to observe you and go, I may not know that much about him, but I know that he loves the Lord and he loves his wife. And if you're not married, the same can be said that that young person, that man loves the Lord and is thoughtful and kind and considerate of others. He has a love for the brethren. He is compassionate and concerned about others. That is what we should be striving for as Christ followers. Again, it flies in the face of what our culture would say. They, our culture is trying to raise wimps, pansies, without conviction, and we are called to be men who sacrifice and serve others for their well-being. Just as God meets every need of the church, so is a husband to meet every need of his wife. Philippians 4.19, Paul tells us that God meets all believers' need. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Men, likewise, we are to love our wives by meeting their needs. With the same consideration you give to your body, you need to give that to your wife. So love your wife, first of all. First point, love your wife as you love your body. The second way that husbands are to love their wife is as Christ loves the church. If you look at verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In the same way that Christ loves the church, husbands are to love their wives Here we see Paul's emphasis on the gospel picture. Paul used the gospel to motivate husbands to love their wives. Any other motivation for loving your wife beyond the gospel is going to be a works-oriented. It's going to be human-derived from human, human wisdom and human effort. It has to be driven from the gospel. If we just think about the book of Ephesians, we got six chapters First three chapters, there's not a single command in chapters one, two, and three. It's all gospel. This is what Christ has done. He predestined you. He loved you. He's called you. You are a child of God. You're saved by grace through faith, not by works. No one should boast. There's not a single command in the first three chapters. But oh, chapters four, five, and six are loaded with commands, aren't they? But they're rooted in the gospel. They're rooted in the foundation of the gospel. If you start with the commands of put off, put on, love your wife, do this, lead this way, 
it's, you've got the cart ahead of the, ahead of the horse. It's got to be rooted in the gospel. Everything that we're talking about tonight has to be driven from a proper understanding of who Christ is, what he has done, the love that he has demonstrated and shown to you that you don't deserve, that he has given you life, that he has called you into his family graciously and lovingly. He's forgiven you your sins when you didn't deserve it. When you grasp that or have an understanding of amazing mercy and kindness that Christ has shown to you, you are then equipped to go, Christ has done this for me. I need to serve my wife. I need to sacrifice for her. Christ is my ultimate example. He's my savior. He's called me in this way. I want to just look at four different ways that Christ loves the church. So we're to love our wife as we love our own body. And we are to love our wife as Christ loves the church. How does he love the church? I want us to think through this and apply this in our lives. First of all, think about this. Christ loves the church unconditionally. You are called to love your wife unconditionally. There are no strings attached. What does it mean to have unconditional love? Men, you are called to love your wife regardless of her love for you. It means you love your wife regardless of her weaknesses, flaws, behavior, regardless of whether or not she responds to you. Whether she's submissive, aloof, disrespectful, not kind to you, or mad at you most of the time. You don't respond with similar behavior. It's not, well, this is how she treats me, so therefore I have the right to treat her this way back. No. You are to love her unconditionally as Christ has loved the church. Your love is not based on what she does for you or how she responds to you. Hear me on this. That is what the world would say. Hey, She's not taking care of you. She's not giving you love and respect. You have the right to walk away. You treat her with disrespect. You give it right back to her. That's the wisdom of our world. But our Lord and Savior modeled for us this love. We are to follow his example and it is to be without condition. 1 John 4.19 We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. He didn't wait for us to get our act together, did he? And go, when Ben gets his act together, I'll show him some love. Thankfully, or he'd still be waiting. It's God had to love me first. He poured out his love on you first while you were a sinner, while you were an enemy, while you were in rebellion to him. Romans 5.8, God demonstrated his love for us when? While we were yet sinners. Not when we got it all figured out and cleaned up and we were looking good and then he chose to love us. No, he demonstrated his love for us while we were in rebellion to him. The Lord didn't wait for us to be changed, to be more lovable, to stop being enemies before he gave his life on the cross. Praise the Lord. No, he loved us when we despised him. He loved us when we were enemies of him. The only reason Christ loved you is because he chose to love you. Men, you can't wait for your, wives, your wife to change before you love her. Paul doesn't give you an out clause or a non-performance exemption from your covenant relationship with your wife if she's not as lovable as she should be. Don't wait until they change. Love them now. You can quickly tell if a person is loving from a heart motivated by the gospel or if they are loving because of their return on investment, their ROI. That's how the business world looks. What's my return on investment? Is it paying back. You are not called to love your wife merely when you are getting along and she is easy to love. 
You aren't called to love your wife in proportion to the love that you are receiving from her. Anyone can do that. That's pagan love. That's how the world loves. You love me this way, I'll give it back to you. You, don't, you love me this bad way, I'll give it back to you. I want you to consider one of the reasons you are married to your wife. And we could expand this for a particular person that is in your life that it may be a challenge or difficulty. One of the purposes that God has brought you together with your wife is that God is using your spouse to conform you to the image of Christ. Paul tells us in Romans 8.28, he's called us, foreknown us, predestined us. For what purpose? To be conformed to the image of his son. Could it be that God is using your wife with all her weaknesses and imperfections to deal with your own sin in your life? Maybe your wife's strengths and weaknesses are present to expose your own sin, to reveal your pride, your selfishness, your self-love, your bitterness, your impatience. How will you learn unconditional love, grace, and mercy if your wife is perfect? You have the opportunity to show your wife how Christ loves sinful people. Your spouse is one of the instruments God is using to make you more conformed to the image of his son. And if you're not married, I'm confident that there are people in your life that God has placed there that you may go, they are a pain in my side. I wish this person would not be in my life, but God has placed them there to make you more conformed to the image of Christ. Another way, beyond Christ's unconditional love, Christ demonstrates his love. He demonstrated his love. He didn't just talk about it. He showed it. Christ not only verbally affirmed his love for his followers, he showed it by his actions. What actions? His sacrificial death on the cross. Men, do your actions and words demonstrate that you love your wife? Sadly, too often we demonstrate anything but love with our words and our actions. How? We use harsh words lack of compassion, make major decisions without ever seeking the input and wisdom of your wife. You do what you want to when you want to without consideration of your wife or her feelings. This is not loving your wife. Sure, you may verbalize your love for your wife, but it is not enough to just tell her you love her. You've got to show it. Your actions must support your words. As the expression goes, put your money where your mouth is. Don't be all talk and no action. To have success in conveying and demonstrating love for your wife, you must become a student of your wife to better understand her needs and wants. This is a lifelong study on a topic that you will never fully master, but you must pursue an understanding of your wife. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 7, dwell, we are told, husbands are told to dwell in an understanding way with their wives. You must become an expert in your wife like you are an expert in your field of work. Whatever your vocation is, I bet you've done extra study. You think about it. You may lay in bed. How can I do this presentation better? How can I grasp my product better? How can I improve in whatever I'm doing? Or you take additional classes, get certifications and so forth. You become an expert in your field of work. You need to become an expert in your wife. Your wife needs to have love expressed to them differently than you do. In other words, the golden rule does not apply to how you love your wife. What is the golden rule? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You can't express love to your wife the same way you want to express love 
to her or you want love expressed to you. Most men say, hey, let me watch a a game on TV, give me a few hours to myself, end the night with sex, and that is expressing love. And that's, but that is not your wife's definition of having love living in an understanding way. It is typically not the way your wife needs or wants to be shown love. Your wife is unique with her own needs and desires for how she wants and needs to be loved. You must become, again, an expert in your wife. Pay attention to her comments. Try to understand what makes her tick so that you can lovingly meet her needs. Some ideas of ways to live in an understanding way and express your love. Give you some practical things. Communicate love with words. Your wife needs continual affirmation of your love. It's, it should be daily, more than once, of I love you, I appreciate you. Text messages, phone calls, there should be some level of interaction with your wife throughout the day, if your job permits it, that you can do those type of things. You need to express these things. You need to identify her varying needs. Your wife has things that are important to her that naturally aren't important to you. They're not on your radar, but you are to live in an understanding way. They need to get on your radar, and you need to pay attention to these things. Know what they are. If you aren't a good observer and you can't figure out what's really important to you, ask your wife. I have more than once asked my wife, what can I do to demonstrate my love for you? What are things I'll ask? I'm thick, thick-headed. I don't know. Am I missing something here? I want to make sure that you know that I love you and I want to be able to demonstrate it. I think I'm demonstrating it. I'm trying to demonstrate it. But oftentimes, it's helpful just to ask your wife, are you understanding that I love you? I want, if there are different ways that I can do this. Time, words, gifts, special notes, surprise dates, special activities, time alone. Allow her to really share your life. Lives must be intertwined. It's so challenging with the busyness of life, and especially young kids. You can grow apart and not even realize it. You must be intentional in intertwining your lives. Your life, if you're not intentional, your marriage will grow apart if it just is put on cruise control. It has to be an intentional pursuit of intertwining your lives together in the busyness of everything going on. It's got to be purposeful, intentional. Talk on the phone, text, email, phone calls, communicate beyond the surface. It can't just be an activity report. At the end of the day, you've got to be able to communicate beyond this is what happened with the kids, this is what happened with the car, this is what happened with this. That's an information exchange. That's an activity report for the day. That's important. That is needed. It needs to be communicated, but it can't stop there with your interaction with your wife third way to love your wife as Christ loves the church. He loves the church sacrificially. Look again at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. And what? Gave himself up for her. That is Paul's major point. Jesus gave his life for his church. He went through physical and spiritual suffering for us, and we need to be willing to do that for our wives. This does not mean that you have to die for, for your wife. It means that you have to be willing to die for her. But the reality is that most of us will not have to die for our wives. We'll have to do something harder. We'll have to live for them. Philippians 2, 5 through 8, we're told, have this mind among yourselves, which 
is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Men, when was the last time you gave up something for your wife? Those who are not married, when is the last time that you gave up something You sacrificed your time, your resources, your money to serve someone else. When is the last time you gave up something you wanted to do so your wife could do something else? When's the last time you sacrificed buying something you wanted? Computer gadget, something related to a hobby, or just time or sleep so that she could get a new outfit that she wanted, so that she could go out with friends. When is the last time you told your wife to go out with her friends? and you would watch the children. Have you volunteered that ever? Or is always a request from your wife? Hey, can I go out? Could you watch the kids? Have you volunteered that? You know what? It's a way that I can serve you. I can sacrificially love you and let you go out and relax and go have an enjoyable evening and I'll watch the kids or I'll stay home. I'll take these responsibilities. When's the last time you turned off the game or TV show you wanted to watch so you and your wife could talk together? Men, we show love to our wives through making sacrifices for them. What deters you from sacrificially loving your wife? It's self-love. Because it doesn't fit with what I want. You must give not wanting or expecting anything in return. Too many times a husband and wife, quote-unquote, sacrifice for the other person, not as an expression of love, but so they can get what they want. I'll let you go out with your friends so I can go out with my friends next week. You spend money on that new outfit that you want so that I can feel comfortable spending the money on my my hobby or getting that new gadget that I want. It will make me feel better. You do that, and the trade-off is I'm doing this. You relax tonight. I'll do the dishes and hang with the kids so you can read and get time alone. But I expect this favor in return tomorrow or, or next week. Newsflash, that's not sacrificial love. That's bartering. That's trading. I'll give you this, you give me that. It's an even trade. That's not sacrificial love. That's self-love packaged as sacrificial love. It's really a form of manipulation. I love this definition of manipulation. Self's scheme for sovereignty. That's manipulation, is it not? It's self's scheme to be in control. I'm going to manipulate you to control this, the scheme to get what I want. I will give you what you want so I can get what I want. This cannot and should not characterize how you treat your spouse. And really, it should not characterize how you treat any relationship for that matter. Men, you are called to follow the example of Jesus as he is our ultimate example of sacrificial love. What is Jesus' example? Jesus took the position of death in order to accomplish reconciliation. In your marriage, at least one person must take the position of death, dying to self. One of you must die to your will, die to your rights, and possibly your dreams in order to meet the needs of your spouse. Biblically, this is a responsibility of both husband and wife to die to self, live for Christ, and by doing so, you will sacrificially love and serve each other. Men, when there has been a conflict, or you've been misunderstood, or maybe you've been neglected, and your flesh wants to verbally attack or defend yourself, you must remember that you have been called to die to self. When conflict and misunderstanding occur, it should be a foot race to the cross to die to self. God's word clearly tells us that the gospel is not simply the story of Christ and him crucified. It's also the story of my own crucifixion. 
The Bible tells me that I too was crucified on Christ's cross. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. My fleshly desires and love affair with the world were crucified there too. Romans 6.6, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Galatians 6.14, but may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So Christ's death and my death are so intertwined as to be inseparable. Listen to the insightful words of Milton Vincent in his excellent book, A Gospel Primer. If you have not read this book or heard of this book, it is one of my top books. It is how the gospel applies to everyday life. I cannot recommend this book enough. He says this, God is committed to my dying every day. He calls me to that same commitment. He insists that every hour be my dying hour. He wants my death on the cross to be as central to my own life story as is Christ's death to the gospel story. Crucifixion hurts. In fact, it, its heart-wrenching brutality can numb the senses. It is a gasping and bloody affair, and there is nothing nice, pretty, or easy about it. It is not merely death, but excruciating death. Nevertheless, I must put my face like a flint toward the cross and embrace this crucifixion in everything I do. I should expect every day to encounter circumstantial evidence of God's commitment to my dying, and I must seize upon every God-given opportunity to be conformed more fully to Christ's death, no matter the pain involved. When my flesh yearns for some prohibitive thing, I must die. When called to do something I don't want to do, I must die. When I wish to be selfish and serve no one, I must die. When shattered by hardships that I despise, I must die. When wanting to cling to wrongs done against me, I must die. When enticed by allurements of this world, I must die. When wishing to keep besetting sins secret, I must die. When wants that are borderline needs are left unmet, I must die. When dreams that are good seem shoved aside, I must die. Not my will, but yours be done. Lastly, fourth point that I'll, as we kind of wrap up, fourth way that Jesus demonstrated his love is a sanctifying love. If you read verses 25 through 27, Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. The goal of our Lord's love is to make us holy and pure. Ephesians 1.4 says that we were chosen before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. He redeemed you. He saved you. He regenerated you, not so that you would have your best life now, but so that you would live holy and blameless lives, so that your life would shine a light on how awesome and supremely satisfying our Lord and Savior is. You are to wash your wife in the word. What does this mean? You are to spiritually feed your wife. You are to spur her on to holiness, not be a hindrance. You don't want to be the obstacle. You want to be the one pushing her. You can do it. Continue to grow. I want to help you on this path, not hinder you. The way you treat your wife, what you say to your wife and your personal actions are to feed and encourage your wife to love the Lord with all her heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
You are to seek to lead her into that which will make her pure and holy. Is that even on your radar? That you're responsible at some level for your wife's spiritual health. Are you helping her in her walk with the Lord? Do you care about her walk with the Lord? Or are you just focused on me, my self-love, my world, what I've got going on? Is your wife's spiritual well-being and health something that you care about and that you will sacrifice to help her to grow in godliness? If your wife is not as godly as you desire her to be or as mature in the Lord as she should be, it's possible that you are partly to blame for not fulfilling your God-given responsibility to sanctify her. Why is this so important? Look at verse 27. You're going to present your wife to the Lord. If your wife is a believer, that means that God has given you the responsibility to protect and purify his daughter. And one day you will stand before God and present your wife, his daughter, to him. Are you going to present her as a holy vessel that you served, loved, and poured your life into? Or are you going to stand before the Lord having neglected the spiritual needs of your wife, but stand there proud of everything else you poured your energy into during your short time on earth? Yeah, but I had a great job. We had a big house. We went on a lot of vacations, Lord. I have great social standing. I've got friends. I've got some incredible hobbies that I love. Fortnite, I am dominant in. Uh, Madden, I can dominate. You know, what are you going to stand before the Lord that I poured all my time and energy into these things? but to the neglect of your wife. And again, for those not married, what have you poured all your time and energy into that is trivial? That, again, husbands pour their lives into things often that are trivial. Married, unmarried, we are all tempted to do these things. What are you pouring your life into? What is most important? Are you helping others along in their walk with the Lord? Or is it just... I'm just kind of narrow-minded, got my tunnel vision of what I'm doing, my, my dreams, my aspirations, to the neglect of everything else and everyone else going on around me. We should be concerned for the spiritual well-being of those around us, the relationships that God has placed in our lives. If you are loving your wife as Christ loved the church, then men, your wife's sanctification must be a priority. It's got to be. But the reality is, you can't, you won't wash your wife in the Word if you're not in the Word. How could you do that? Let me help you along with your walk with the Lord. But my walk with the Lord is is stale and stagnant. It's not going to happen. You can try. You can say you'll do that. But it's not going to be a benefit. So what does that mean? Men. All of us need to be men of the Word. Married, unmarried, if you're a follower of Christ, our Lord and Savior has revealed Himself. The God of the universe has revealed Himself in the Word. The Word must be a priority in your life. If you want to be a godly man, be a man of the Word. You must. There is no substitute. There is no shortcut. There's no quick, let me get there, microwave, instantaneous, I know everything. It's diving into God's Word and the Holy Spirit illuminating your eyes as you study and as you pray and as you reflect and meditate on God's word. If you want to love your wife, to care for her needs, lead her and serve her and be the best husband to her, love the Lord. Make him a priority of your life. It's that 
triangle. If you've ever seen a husband and wife, as you grow and pursue loving the Lord, you get closer together. That you need to be pursuing, you're pursuing your wife, yes, but you're pursuing the Lord. She's pursuing the Lord. You will grow closer together. Your pursuit needs to be the Lord. Married or unmarried, we are to strive for walking with and loving the Lord. Because when you are loving the Lord, you want to serve and obey the Savior who bore the wrath of God for undeserving sinners like you, like me, who graciously forgives, who continues to model goodness and kindness to us. When your heart is fixated on your Savior, you will be committed to helping your wife to do the same thing, and and frankly, any other relationship that you have in your life. When you're fixated on the gospel and what Christ has done, you want others to see the glories of the gospel. So what are ways that you can sanctify your wife? Some practical ways. We'll close with this. Encourage her to be around other godly women. Encourage your wife to attend Bible study. Or do you pressure her to stay home? Are you concerned that she's growing spiritually? Do you initiate conversation about the Lord? Do you ask your wife, what are you learning? What have you been reading? Are you reading? How can I pray for you? This is what I've been reading. This is a sermon I listened to. This is a podcast I recently listened to. What other books are you reading? Hey, I'm reading this book. It's been really helpful. I hadn't thought about this. Do you ever have those kinds of conversations with your wife? You should. You should be having those kinds of conversations if you're married with your wife, but it shouldn't be limited to just your spouse. This is what the community of Christ is to be doing all along. We should be spurring one another on to good deeds, correct? Yes, we should be interacting with each other in a similar fashion of, what are you learning? Hey, what have you been reading? Have you been in the Word? No, not as much. Hey, I'm going to call you tomorrow. I'm going to text you and ask you how you're doing. I know you want to be in the Word. I know it's a struggle. Do you mind if I follow up with you? That's loving each other enough to come alongside each other and help one another. Do you pray for your wife's spiritual well-being? Do you read the Bible together? When's the last time you prayed together? Not just because of major issues that you face, like we've got this major issue going on, now let's pray together. Do you pray together just when life is humming along and life is in the routine of busyness? Is it something we go, this is a prayer day, we need to pray together. We need to ask for wisdom, we need to ask for guidance, we need to give thanks for the Lord's blessings. Is that a routine? Does that characterize you? So men, your biblical mandate is to be characterized by love. If you're married, needs to be to your wife. If you're not married and you're single, you need to be characterized by love as we saw from Galatians 5, 1 Corinthians 13. This is to characterize every single one of us. So the question is, what changes do you need to make in your thinking about love and how you apply this to your life? There's, we've said a lot tonight and you need to ask the Lord, where do I need to change? Again, we want conviction, but we want transformation. We just don't want it to stop with conviction. Wow, I was really convicted about those five things that I don't do, and we go home and no change. That's not what we're looking for. We want to be convicted. That leads to transformation. We want change. Again, that gap that I talked about at the beginning between belief and behavior, we want to have the truths. We got to have the foundational truths of what God's Word says. Know that and then submit to it. Behave that way. It's got to transform 
how we act. Guys, if there's areas that you're falling short in, in these, and every one of us can grow tremendously in, in each of these areas, I don't think anyone could sit here and go, well, check all those boxes, I'm good. Not at all. We have many shortcomings, and these are areas we need to be pursuing in greater detail. But as believers, we need to remember, we're called to repent. You just don't repent when you get saved, and that's the last time you repent. We repent and turn to the Lord for salvation. And as his children, when we recognize that there's sin, that there's, I have not been obedient in this area, Lord, we need to repent. Lord, forgive me. I have sinned against you. I've sinned against my wife. I have not been obedient in this area. And we can be assured as God's children that he forgives us. There is restoration there, and we go forward with changes in our lives. So I would challenge you guys as you go about your night and we come back tomorrow and, and get to hear from Pastor Charles a couple times tomorrow, but we need to be looking and doing a, a spiritual inventory of what we've heard tonight and even what we're going to be hearing tomorrow. What changes need to be made as we look to be men who are godly in this culture, who stand alone but are characterized by love. A lot to absorb. Let's, uh, let's stand and I'll close us in prayer. And we thank you, Ben, for filling in for H.B. Charles. We appreciate it. Long day for you. Thank you. Well, our Father, we have been exposed to not only great teaching, we have been exposed to challenging teaching, teaching that tugs at our hearts, Lord. And I pray that as Ben has said, there's so much that we have heard tonight. Help us to be doers of the word, not hearers only. Help us to, where there is Holy Spirit conviction, to act upon it, to humble ourselves before our wives, to ask their forgiveness, to make changes to implement these things, Lord, and not just temporarily, but may they be habits of our lives. We pray that you help us to digest, absorb all that we've heard tonight, and to be the men of God you've called us to be. And we know that the foundation is loving you with all of our hearts. So as Ben has reminded us of the importance of being in the word and being in prayer and being in fellowship with you, we will only love Our wives love other people if we are indeed loving you. So, Lord, dismiss us now. Help us to get a good night's sleep. We pray for Pastor Charles, that he'll be able to get on that plane and be here, and that you'll refresh him. It's got to be a long, tiring day for him. We pray that you'll give him empowerment, and may we have a wonderful, wonderful day tomorrow. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.